0: Hi everybody, welcome to the Hard Truth Inside the Football Intro podcast with me, Philip Heidson, and Dara McAnthony, chairman and co-owner of English Championship side, still sounds good, I'm sure, Peterborough United. Um, how was your weekend, Dara?
1: Well, we should, we should title this episode, Late Late Fucking Drama in both games, <laughs> though, for, and for Play to
0: the final whistle.
1: I, I mean, I, I saw your game and obviously you saw our game and we talked about playing <laughs> to the final, but you know what? It, it, it goes to show you in football, you do play to the final whistle. And it's like too many times teams give up, don't they? And um, yeah, it was, um, weekend was really good to be fair. But you know me, I've been pretty, um, I've been pretty relaxed. Even, even you know, we didn't speak obviously after we got tanked by Plymouth on Tuesday. But, you know, again, a lot of overreaction from some, you know, people already questioning recruitment. Forget the cup game. So it's one league loss and, and it's like baby out with a bat water. You know, it's Peterborough, the destroyer, the this, the that recruitment. We've got the right players in. We signed Ollie Norwood, you know, spent a few grand mm-hmm. on him. People are like, oh, is he gonna be good enough? Another League One player. And it's just a constant barrage. And I start getting the trolls hitting me during the week. And you're sitting there, I'm watching Brentford Arsenal on Friday night, and I'm listening to the Brentford people talk about, you know, the recruitment. You look through their team, the amount of League One players they've recruited that were in that team on, on you know, on, on Friday night, they beat Arsenal. And you're like, there's nothing wrong with our recruitment. Our recruitment's phenomenal. It's it's as good as anybody's. And I'm sick of people just going on about, why aren't you signing a 28-year-old with championship experience? Well, a 28-year-old with championship experience isn't playing for PW United, with do you respect. Me?
0: Unless you're backing up the truck full of cash, which, you know, you don't want to do.
1: Phil, no, not even then. Not even then, and this is where people have to understand, not even then. You're signing a twenty-eight-year-old who's probably been injured the last three fucking years, who hasn't played much, who wants a chance and are pretty much a fucking crock. That's what you're signing. Even if I was a billionaire, even if I was backing up the truck, you've no idea people they won't want to come to Peterborough. Because they'll be automatically thinking, Well, we're in a relegation battle and I want relegation release clauses in my contract, then I'm only coming for the money, I'm not coming for the love of your club, I'm not coming for a chance. I'm so it's just a no go. You know, you know if, if, if our fans want to realize the time when we're going to be signing championship players, per se, and we won't, we won't be, we will maybe in the future sign a couple, will be when we've done a Brentford and established ourselves championship, where you've had basically two, three years of consistent growth in your league position, when our stadium is full of 15, 16,000 people, when we become that mid to higher tier club, we change the hearts and minds of what Peterborough are. You know, even Sky Sports, everyone looking at the game, Wayne Rooney after the game, these are the types of teams we need to beat. That's disrespectful, just in that comment, but that's the mindset about Peterby United. So once we change all those things, and it's winning hearts and minds, and I've always said this, it's going to take time. Once you get through that trajectory, and I said it during the summer when we were recruiting, you know, right now, anyone you look to recruit, they're thinking, oh, we're not coming to win a league title or win a promotion. We're going to be in a, a fight. So it's not an attractive proposition for them. That's the outside view. So, the only way we change the outside perspective is what we do inside. And that's, I keep talking about the inches, the inches, the inches. And, you know, I was never worried about losing to Plymouth. I was never worried about losing to Luton because last year we lost the first two. Dumped down the cup, lower league team. Lost our first league game at Accrington. This year we did the same. We then played Fleetwood last year. We're 1-0 down. We went into injury time against Fleetwood. We scored two goals in injury time to get up and running. And then we get to Derby on Saturday And it's funny because everyone's going on about all the problems at Derby. This, 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 this. But I I want somebody who's listening to the podcast to put up the amount of championship experiences in that Derby eleven versus the championship games in the Peterborough 11 They're back to Stearman and Curtis Davis probably have 600 championship appearances between the two of them. Never mind higher. All right. Um, And then we're listening about, well, Derby have got young players. We've got the youngest squad in the championship. The average age of our squad is 22.8 years old. And you take the 26 players we have in the squad and everything else and you include our number 23s in the overall squad. We have the youngest team. And again, I think we had four teenagers in the match squad and four or five homegrown youth academy players as well. Um, and one of them obviously came on and did very well. But the point is, it's all that the narrative is, Darby's problems, Darby's issues, and oh my God, and they're expected to be battered. And then you look at their team and you look at, probably the wages and some of those players where they played. And then you got little old Peterborough and, you know, we go out and, and it's nothing game. Derby are tip-tappy around. um. You know, we probably looked a little bit more cutting up front as regards to we got in better positions. But you can tell Jack Marriott and Clark Harris, who played together for the first time, I think they've had an hour of football each, 80 minutes to an hour each, all pre-season. You've then got Dembele, who's injured, who's just come back on the bench, hasn't played for like two and a half weeks. Norburn's been away on international duty makes his debut you got the best central midfielder we've had in years Jack Taylor is not available in the squad you've got Sammy Sponniks who scored 17 goals from January to May he's just had a baby he's not in the squad you've got another one of our strikers Ricky J. Jones who gets his chance against Plymouth on Tuesday and after 20 minutes we think he's done his ACL it turns out he's done his MCL so he's out for three and a half months it, you know you couldn't write the shit going on behind the scenes that we're trying to overcome so Whilst everything's going on on the pitch with bad results and the negativity and the trolling and everything else, I know the other side of the international break, we're going to be a different proposition. We'll be fitter. We'll be stronger. We'll have all those players back. You know, Marriott and Clark Harris, hopefully we'll get a good run of games. They'll be in the best condition they've been in. You know, Jack Taylor will be fully back in the team. You know, all those issues we've had will be gone in the past. So whilst it's important, yes, to get a win or whatever on this side of it, I'm not losing sleep about the recruitment. I'm not losing sleep about what we have. I know what we have is a good championship squad. I know what we have is going to grow into be a really, really good championship squad and surprise a lot of people. So watching the game, it's a nothing game. Marriott's has got some great positions, completely rusty. Probably would have scored two in another day. Gar Harris the same, but fair play to him. He still did 90 minutes again because he's a machine. But he's like a mile off fitness. And they score on the 70th minute, shitty corner. Our goalie in in 103 minutes hasn't made a save. So all the talk about Derby dominating the game and their manager afterwards and even one of their players was saying, oh, you know, we should have won that game. Load of fucking bollocks. Um, Because come the 70th, they score, it was like, it was the best thing that could happen to our players because it finally said to our players, do you want to score goals or do you want to be frightened little fucking lambs to the slaughter?" Because you're good enough, believe in yourself, now you've got nothing to lose. You're 1-0 down in front of 10,000 home fans. Get fucking going and show everyone where you belong. Well, the last 25 minutes was a lesson in fucking late fucking pressing energy because we probably could have scored five goals. No word of a lie. You watch the highlights back. Now, the manager's made two brilliant substitutions. He's brought on Harrison Burrows, 19 years old, been with us since he's nine, put him at left wing back. He's taken our left wing back, Butler, taken off Beaver as our captain and put Butler as a centre-back, all right? And then he's obviously, he's, he's moved everyone up the pitch And he's left one centre-back basically back to go one-on-one defending. Because at that Mm -hmm. stage, it doesn't matter if you lose two or three-nil. You need to go for it. And he's obviously brought on Dembele. And we've just dominated them, our wing-backs. The goal itself for Burroughs is a great example of how we want to play. Joe Ward's a wing-back. Harrison Burroughs is a wing-back. From one wing-back to the other wing-back, go. And the one thing it showed is when we put crosses in, and we've always said this, we win lots of football games. And we must have delivered, Burroughs delivered four crosses that, and any other day, Clark Harris would have scored twice.
0: It was a game changer when he came on. I watched the game because it was on TV here as well. It was a game changer.
1: Would you agree we dominated them for the final 25 minutes?
0: Yeah, it's funny. Like you said, nothing game is probably a good explanation. Like, there was just nothing happening. It was one of those kind of things where you're looking and thinking, should I really have watched the Man United-Leeds game? Because (laughs) here it is 5-1, you know, and you're still nil-nil, and there's not a lot happening. Um, and then when you made the change, it just you had a different dimension.
1: And when Joe Ward finally believed in himself, because the thing about Joe Ward is that Joe Ward believes in himself he played probably top six championship football and he'd go for a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Because what he has got is, is he, he was the leading assist maker in League One. When he's on it and his mindset's positive, he's unplayable. And for 65 minutes, he played within himself. For the final 30, 35 minutes, he was the best right wing back in the championship. Yeah. He was stop down that side. Burroughs was non-stop down the other side, and suddenly you saw Peter were United. It was pressing, it was high action, it was goals, it was crosses, it was shots, and it was late goals. And what we have is, we've got, showed our fitness as well. People want to question our fitness. That's how strong we were. We ran all over them at the end. And the other thing it showed was, we've got game changers on the bench because both subs scored. Um, and the other thing it sh- showed was, that when we have confidence in what we want to do, we can win football games at this level. And we can win a lot of them. And last year, we were the best team in the country from coming from behind. And the question was, can you do that in the championship? Yeah. Fuck yeah, we can do it in the championship because we just showed. So for the fans, electric. Because missing that linking game with no fans. I mean, imagine what they would have been like that day. On well, Saturday, if you saw the atmosphere for the winners, you would have seen at valley parade with 18,000 fans or whatever. It was electric. You could soak that atmosphere up. They the fans drove our players. The energy in our players that last 10-15 minutes came from our fans. And of course having the Dembele's been able to come in and do what he does, that's massive. Do you know what I mean? So um yeah I, I wasn't surprised by the result. Um I was disappointed afterwards I dug out Sky because the in-game commentators were good. I felt the studio um after the game I we we timed it and did it. They spent 92% of the time talking about Derby and Wayne Rooney. They interviewed Wayne Rooney for four and a half minutes. Our manager got 34 seconds live on air. They spent fuck all time talking about really our goal scorers. They wanted to focus on Derby's 19-year-old who scored a consolation goal in the end. forgetting about our 19-year-old who absolutely fucking ripped up the game when he came on. So that was disappointing from that perspective. So I mean that it's the usual Wayne Rooney show at Derby. Give me a fucking break.
0: We get the same in League 2 when it's the Salford show. So, you know, it's, I mean, I guess it's just one of those things. It's got, it's got let
1: themselves down. So they let themselves down that like crap. They let themselves down and that's their whole focus. Do you know what I mean? And, and if that's the way it is, I couldn't be fussed about them coming and filming games because the reality is versus the TV money versus the extra gate we would have made, we would have made more money. So, yeah. you, you, you know, sure. Come to us in league one, we could do it with the money, but in the champ we would have got another 2000 Derby fans on the gate. Another probably thousand posh fans probably would have made about 30, 40 grand more. Now, that's not a headline for Alan Swan to come out and say D-Max says Sky are never to come and film a game ever again, because that would be bad for business. But if people listening get the gist, that's why I was upset afterwards, because, again, it's always like, you know, Wayne Rooney's Derby County. I mean, fucking, you know, Wayne Rooney's not a football player anymore. He's a manager now. Um, and, yeah. you know, that's what he is. He's a manager. And And, you know, my manager has been around a long time and is a very, very good manager and doesn't get credit for what he does. So, look, positives from Saturday, home win. We've got great home form. We have done for two years. That's going to be crucial. Confidence and belief for the players. Game changing substitutions from the manager. He was on his game. Because I'll be the first to say when he's not in his game. So he was on his game. You know, um, showing the football world that we've got some excellent young teenagers in our squad that can make a difference in this league when we get criticized for maybe pushing our younger players when they're not ready or good enough. Well, we've got a hell of a lot of good players. The final bit is our players are getting fitter, the ones who are still out will be coming back. They will make us stronger and norburn it was an excellent debut from a guy who's played all the last two weeks and he is he's an ugly scrapping midfielder that we've maybe missed where you watch him and when I say ugly uh, I mean he does all the stuff you you don't want to do as a footballer you see him digging in he's, he's he's nibbling at people's heels he's making tackles he's screaming at our players he's driving them he's a leader and it's funny the football secretary said to me the day we signed him he he, he rates himself this lad and I said, oh, in a good way or a bad way? She said, no, 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 in a good way. She goes, he's very confident. And I said, look, he's 28. He probably should have played higher sooner. And I'm glad he rates himself because we need that kind of character coming into our dressing room because a lot of players, sometimes the younger ones will be like, oh, do we belong? Can we play at this level? And he's going to bring in an air of authority and confidence that they should have. And he showed on Saturday, he was excellent on Saturday. So lots and lots of positives. You know, another great test on Tuesday. We're playing a team that will just pulverize us with long throws, very physical, very direct. Fair play, Mick McCarthy. That's what he does at Cardiff. I'm watching the throw-ins and the highlights in their game. Fuck may almighty. If we don't defend well, they'll fucking destroy us. Um, but we've got enough an attack to fucking do the opposite to them. So it, it'll be interesting, but really, really enjoyable. More than anything else, I just enjoyed the banter with the fans. I enjoyed seeing the fans happy. I came out afterwards. I couldn't get to my car. You know, fans were outside. I dare say if it was a loss, it would have been an easy walk to the car, yeah, but not outside. But was like, you know. And
0: things have been thrown at you rather than people wanting to come and say hello.
1: Correct. And, and I want to apologize to the fans with, with the queues, the issues, with the catering. We had the pandemic strike us on Saturday morning. I arrived at the club. I got told all our chefs were gone. Loads of staff weren't there. Stewards weren't there. They were, you know, they signed up to this stupid ping thing. Where basically they got pinged on the friday night and mm-hmm. um, so we were missing loads and loads of staff to the point where one of the cleaning staff had to cook the breakfast you know it was it was that bad bob nearly put his apron back on to cook because bob used to be a chef so it was really i and i just said put out a message in social media to fans to allow for patience today it's going to be like laborious it's going to be irritating in some sections but this is the shit we're dealing with uh, and, and you know it's not a case of having an extra 20 staff in reserve it doesn't work like that with the companies you deal with so they're all the little things that were just still as we're coming to the end of the pandemic that we're still kind of dealing with. But yeah, it was great because Saturday was, that was the first time I watched all the highlights on Saturday night. I slept well and look, winning makes everyone feel better, but it's not a cup final. We want a league game. So, you know, it's just the start and we want to do a lot better.
0: I, I hope that uh, Dembélé was in on Sunday for extra goals, goal celebration training.
1: <laughs> <shirt> is, okay. <laughs> Those shorts are a bit tight, maybe. You know, went everything else. You know, but listen, he's it uh, it was great to see him do well, and um, you know there'll be a lot of question marks over the next couple of weeks. I wish Barry had stopped speaking to Alan Swan. I have told him he's not allowed to, but he keeps breaking that fucking rule. And um, there's a highlight, a to headline today that you know it'd be suicidal of Posh selling Dembele. That was from Barry. And, um, you know, and everyone's going about Dembele and, you know, just the shit I've got to deal with, honestly. So when I sell them, they'll be
0: thrown back in my face, you know. And that's my director of book Going against Baz in selling Dembele. Well,
1: well, yeah, I mean, Baz needs to tell the company line because he knows exactly what we're building this summer. And, you know, he knows all the intricacies of that. So making a headline like that, it just drives me fucking mad. So I'll be slapping the shit out of him later when I speak to him. you know what I mean? So, yeah. Fuck me. And the irony is he would have wanted to be fucking ringing everyone trying to sell him to you know, you know, get his commission. <laughs> but anyway, it makes for good newspaper reading. But yeah, listen, that's life. You know, we, we made a, a um, an agreement with Sariki that um, if the right offer came in, we'd let him move on. Uh, it's not as easy as sign him on a new contract. He, You know, he's not really there where he wants to sign a new contract. Um, I've worked on that. I've spoke to his agents. I'll try and speak to his family and him again. I think bids will come in because of what he can do in the championship. If we had longer left on him, he'd be probably 10, 12 million pounds. And, um, you know, so if the bids don't come in, he'll, he'll stay. And and that's the way it is. You know what I mean? But we've done our business this summer on the, on the basis that he'll probably go. And, and people are saying, oh, how do you spend the money? Well, a lot of money, of that money's already been spent. That's just the way football works, you know, uh, particularly during a pandemic. Um, so we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. But we're very relaxed about it. And, uh, you know, it's exciting stuff.
0: Yeah, and, you know, uh, when you were talking about crowds, it kind of gave me the goosebumps thinking about everyone being back. And you mentioned for City, you know, we had nearly 18,000 at Valley Parade. I think it was the fifth biggest crowd. I saw your
1: tweet. Bigger than Breakfast crowd, bigger than all. I mean, yeah, outside the Premier League, it was the biggest, I presume, was it? it, was, was it I think it was the
0: Premier third League? or the fourth biggest outside the Premier League. There's maybe Forest, Sheffield Wednesday. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody else, but um, Middlesbrough.
1: It, it's a modern day disgrace that club's not at the top 10 of the championship. An absolute travesty. Honest to God. It's like, you know, when you go through the years and you go to Coventry's and you go, you know, your your, uh, Ipswiches and your Portsmouths, those big clubs, then Bradford, you're like, my God, how on earth is that club in fucking League Two? I mean, God, give me the revenue from 17 to 20,000 people on a Saturday and imagine what I could do with any football club. You know, that's where we've worked miracles at Peterborough. You know, in League 1 and League 2, with crowds of five to 7,000. Give us the revenue that, like, what well, Bradford have done. Oh, my God, sky's the limit. Do you know what I mean? So, I, I mean, listen, Ryan's a good guy. They've got a good guy in place now, so hopefully they're going to steer the ship and, and, you know, get going, because that is a club that will just go bang, 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 you know, if it's all right. And and you've got the fan base. And fair play to the fans. They show up no matter what. And, and, and that's a tremendous credit has to be given to the Bradford faithful who've watched them go up and down and go through the shit the last 18, 20 months, and then show up like that Saturday. I mean, were they good? Were you good for the win?
0: Um, you know, I think it's a performance we're going to have to get used to. You know, 30% possession, 35% possession. Um, but Oldham are kind of our bogey team, so it's actually nice not to lose to Oldham for a change, even though, you know, people are saying, well, Old, Oldham are in disarray and that they're really going to struggle. I mean, they've still got some pretty good players, and they've got um, Bambula, who is as good as anyone in that division when he's on his day um so yeah i mean it was one of those where it was one nil you know we you could see them scoring, and you thought we'd got away with it And of course you know 92nd minute they're going to equalize um but they did then they started time wasting and messing around and i think one of the things for Derek adams is again play to the final whistle you know they've made a lot in pre-season around like when you don't think you can go any further you run another lap or run and do another whatever it is um, because you got to keep going.
1: Run more than the opposition. Basic principles. Do you know what I mean? And, and funny enough, when you do that, majority of the time you win. So, you know, football can be technically very complicated at times, but it can also be very simple when you bring it down to the simple things. Run more than the opposition, put more crosses into the box in the opposition. You'd be amazed at the probability of winning when you do that.
0: Yeah, and it just, you know, we got lucky. We got a penalty eight minutes into what was supposed to be six minutes of injury time because they'd been doing some more time wasting and probably the worst penalty you'll ever see that actually made it into the back of the net.
1: I saw it from Lee a a guy we spoke about the other day. Were you impressed with Lee Angol?
0: Hmm. You know, he scored two goals, so you'd think I would immediately say yes, but he missed a few easier chances. So, I mean, I'm glad he's scoring because hopefully that's going to be good for his confidence. Um, but, he, you know, on, his day, or on, on a, a striker in form would have had a couple of others. So he had a lot of chances.
1: But you're playing a, a counter-attacking style of football. That's, that's what you're doing at the moment? So, oh, and, and you're saying the possession was basically 65% of the other team? Yeah. Will Bradford fans put up with that? Will 17,000 Bradford fans constantly put up with that? If we win. Will they?
0: I mean, we've had so much crap the last few years that um, you didn't really notice. So, you know, I mean, when you think of the successful periods we've had in the past, you know, with Phil Parkinson, Phil Parkinson wasn't exactly the prettiest football in the world but he got results. And when he got results, he kind of, it's still kind of this, it feels like it's an attacking pragmatism, if that makes sense, rather than a just sit back and wait. Um, so where on the other hand, we've had people like Peter Taylor back in the day or Gary Boyer a couple of years ago where it was just really just sitting back and it was not good to watch. And we never really looked to make any chances. And that's when people get on your back pretty quickly. So I think as long as we, we turn that into chances, um, at the end of the day, and I'm sure it's like every other club, we just want a bunch of players who look like they're giving everything. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, you see that kind of change in mentality in the players.
1: You, you, you're going to win promotion. You've got the manager. You've got the fan base. You will win promotion. You know, you, you'll probably need a couple of bits more business done, and you'll probably need maybe a bit of strengthening in January just for the final run-in. But there's no doubt in my mind you'll win promotion. Right. So, you, you, you know, I, I, I fancy now to win the title. But if you're not top two, you know, I'll eat my dick and it'll be the longest snack you've ever seen in your life. So that that's how confident I am on, on, on Bradford this year.
0: I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it feels like everything's in place. Mm,
1: it's time. So, so you know, that's exciting. That's good. So, no, it was, it was a great football weekend, to be fair. I mean, Premier League's back, the goals are flowing, and, you know, it was, it's, I mean, some surprises across the leagues. Um, you know, what else do you want to talk about? What are we getting into? We've
0: got lots of football still to talk about as well. So one of the things I want to do each week is um, kind of ask for your performance of the week. Okay. Um, and we can both kind of come up with something and the only proviso is it can't be our own teams. So who impressed you the most?
1: The best performance for me was probably, look, you could go to the Bolton-Wimbledon game, 3-3 player Lane, great result. Some cracking results in, in the championship, QPR away in Hull, battered of them. Um, you know, but you really, you could go down the leagues, obviously, to League Two. For me, Burton, Jimmy Ford Hasselbank, another club with a manager that when he's there, they seem to do really well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the reality is Ipswich are heavily favoured. They've spent a lot of money. I think they've just agreed another big fee with an Akron Stanley. Uh, defender, Burgess is going there. So, you know, um, yeah, it hasn't been a great start for Ipswich. But early days, again, but like I said, Blackpool last year signed 17 players and they took a few months to get going. And when they got going, they were very good. So I wouldn't panic of our Ipswich fans, but the Ipswich fans will get frustrated if they don't get a win in the next two or three games. So that was one of the better results of the weekend. Um, who else is in there that's impressing me at the moment? Um,
0: who in League Two for you? So for me in League Two, it was Stevenage winning at Bristol Rovers.
1: I did see that, yeah, but that doesn't surprise me. Obviously, Bristol Rovers are in disarray. I think Barton yeah. lost three games in a row. I'm not sure what's going on there. What they're waiting for? I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I'm the hatchet man. So. I'd have, he'd have been gone already for me mm-hmm. um, so and Bristol Rovers is a massive club um, but in fairness to Stevenage their manager since he's gone in there Ravel I mean he's done a phenomenal job I mean if you go from February to now they're probably top seven in form aren't they
0: yeah and we play them on Tuesday so this will go live after we played them at, v- at Valley Parade so that's going to be an interesting one for yeah, us
1: yes he's made them very hard to beat and um, I think I had scouts at that game watching some players and not necessarily Stevenage by the way but um yeah, that that that's interesting one, Steve, which is what they're doing there. I started well, um, you know, again, they're 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 getting results. Um, beat MK Dons. Um, but then again, MK Dons have gone and got a new manager from abroad. Oh, he's an English manager, but he's come from coaching abroad in the Man City football group. Um Portsmouth, Danny Cowley doing what he does. You know, as much as people were writing them off, they've been very resilient. Um and, and one again comfortably, they're gonna be big and strong. I think they be Rotherham, didn't they? Um, Middlesbrough did well in the championship. impress me. You know, typical Neil Warnock.
0: What about Fulham beating Huddersfield 5-1 at Huddersfield?
1: Yeah, but that, that's not going to surprise you either because Fulham are going to be like that. Fulham are going to be, they're going to smash the life out of some teams and then they'll lose the odd game. But those big clubs, the West Broms, the Fulhams, the Sheffield United, when they, you know, again, everyone gets so caught up in the first like five, six results. It means nothing. Because those teams, everything's not going to take shape till after the international break, where you're coming into like the second week of September. So that's when you start seeing managers have got more time with players, uh, signings have been made, fitness levels are up. You know, trust me, that's when you really look at it and go, okay, now we can kind of see who's going to be the real challengers in each league and who's who's going to take the baton. And and then you get into how does Christmas shape up and, and so on and so on. So, you know, Fulham will smash a lot of teams. They've got a lot of firepower. I don't think they've finished. Bournemouth have done very well. Good start for Scott Parker. They've got injury issues. They've got some problems. Um, they had a good win. Um, who else in there? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, there was. You, you look at the championships and fascinating results. Um, you know, Luton obviously were getting battered by West Brom, but showed how strong they are. They came back to 3 2. Never in danger of, I think, getting back in the game. They were late goals. I think it was but, like
0: eighth minute into injury time, wasn't it? The second one. Yeah, but you know
1: what? Fair play, because that shows that, spirit, that shows grit, that shows determination. You know that shows that you're not like going to just lay down and get battered, and you want that in your players because you can take that into the next game. Um, it's great for football to be back because the Premier League, obviously with the change in via with VAR, it, it's a lot more fluid. There's less fouls been given. There's, there's there's offside goals been given that wouldn't have been given last year. There's a lot more goals in games. You know, I'm watching the Liverpool Norwich game. I fucking look at the Liverpool midfield of Milner. Oxlade-Chamberlain and and, and uh, Naby Kate, and I'm thinking if we win a league title with well, that central midfield, I'll tell you what, it's the miracle of all fucking miracles.
0: Van like, isn't that good then to cover for, your, for a dodgy no, midfield? No,
1: it's great to see big verge back. Uh, I worry about the left back who was in there. He was good for 70 minutes and then he fucking went. The last 20 minutes, he looked like a fucking league two left back. Um, the central midfield worried the shit out of me, but we got away with it and won the game comfortably. Um, Norwich had chances. Um, but again, you worry about Liverpool's squad when you see that central midfield. You're not winning a league title with oxlade Chamberlain uh, and James Milner in your midfield. For me, oxlade Chamberlain, since his injuries, he's not been the same. You know, is always going to give you his all, but again, he's 35, 36. I'd still like Liverpool to do something in there. Um, you know, I'd love them to go and get Renato Sanchez, the Portuguese central midfielder who who looked great again in the Euros um he'd be an unbelievable addition to that midfield for energy next to fabinho and tiago or henderson so little things then i watched the spurs game yesterday typical um nuno performance what he did at wolves he beat city i think a couple of times as well we all counter-attacking football spurs looked very good it was a very good win people were texting me about man city i said forget it man city will win the league by 10 points i mean you know i think last november december they were 10th and they won by 15 points in the end so you know, early days again. Guardiola give him time, and all the internationals are back, and everyone's fit. Fuck me, Almighty! They'll run all over that league. So, Chelsea looking strong. I like Tuchel, and he's a very good manager. Brentford and Friday night, I had a thing with my manager. We were texting, him and I said Brentford will win. He's like, no chance. Arsenal will win this game. I said, you're a football snob. I said Brentford will win, and I said, what was what I was really texting my manager about was we've hired a set piece coach, and I actually got into him on Saturday before and after the game. I said, look, our analyst has to get you all the footage. Of teams like barnsley brentford last year you know this is what we worked on during the summer the little inches that we're going to do well at this league we need to be better at throw-ins we need to be better on our set pieces in both boxes you know we lose 85 percent of our throw-ins that are our throw-ins so all those little things if you watch the way brentford do things those inches got them promoted you know they were number one for set piece goals last year and it's so important if you want to if you want to compete with the big boys having those little differences that maybe they don't focus on as much. And Liverpool, when they won the league two years ago, they had a free kick and a throw-in specialist. So they're the little things that will make you better. And I was big on that on Friday night with Brentford. I love the way their set plays. And Ivan Toney, was a man of the match, I mean, he was sensational. I mean, he's going to rip the Premier League up. Absolutely no that in my mind.
0: Now, do you think that Brentford game was – and that result was just like all these things coming to a head and like, it's almost like a destiny that they're going to win that game or they're going to be able to carry that forward?
1: No, I think they're really good at home. If you look at Brentford, the simplicity of, of their formation and what they do, the three centre-backs are three towers, right? M- might be the best on the eye football-wise, but they've always had three towers in there. Last mm-hmm. season, this season, they brought the Celtic boy in. They don't have wing-backs, obviously, that go high and are talented. They have scrappers in midfield, and then they got physicality and pace up front. That's their recipe for success. They won't, for me, change much from the 3-4-3, three, three, or you want to go 3-5-2, whatever it might be. They will play pretty much, in my opinion, that three at the back, 85% of the season. And for me, I've said they will be top 14 in the Premier League, because I think they will win a lot of home games. They will surprise a lot of teams. And even though Arsenal maybe dominated the ball, the possession, Brentford probably the best chances in the game. So... Not, not a surprise for me at all. I would have put a lot of money on that if I was allowed to bet. Um, and I said to my manager before the game, they'd win.
0: Now everyone's already writing kind of the post-mortems on Arsenal on their season. How long is, is are Arsenal, are they just found a new level?
1: No, you don't You don't spend 72 million on Pepe, 50 million on Ben White, 50 million on Partey. Um, the money they've spent, they've spent more than Liverpool the last few years. Um, no, they haven't found a new level that Arsenal squad's good enough to compete top six. Leicester, if Leicester can do what they do, Arsenal can do what they do. Someone made the point last week that James Madison staying at Leicester is the sensible thing to do versus going to Arsenal. Yes, you're absolutely right, because no longer can we say Leicester are a small club. In the last six, seven years, you know they've won a league title, they've won a cup final, they've been in the Champions League, they've produced unbelievably great players, their recruitment's second to none. Rodgers has them playing a style of football that's as good as anyone in the top six. They should have been in the Champions League twice the last two years, if not once at least. Um, and they continue to recruit well. And for me, they're expanding their stadium. They've got the best training ground now in the Premier League. Uh, they've spent like $100 million on it. It's got its own golf course. If you're a player going to Leicester, it's a big, big club. Um, so Arsenal are having a bad time. The owners get a lot of flack, but they've spent a lot of money. Um, so, and they'll probably spend another $50 million on other players. So I'm not sure on Arteta. Uh, I think time will show he's probably a a brilliant coach more than a brilliant manager. Um, We'll see. I could be wrong on that. I don't know how long he's going to get. They were better at the end of last season, but they have a soft centre, as we know. Um, But I like a lot of the players. The younger players are terrific. Ben White's a good signing. Um, Smith Rowe, love him. Tierney, the left wing-back, left-back from Scotland, fantastic. They have got some very, very good players. Not sure about the front two. Bangyang and um, Lacazette. They probably need to move on, and they probably need to like youth, and up the front area with a little bit more uh, hunger in those areas because those players are serious money. So it's, it's a great club, Arsenal, and um, you know, so they're going to lose their shit before they get their shit together.
0: Well, how about Rafa? We didn't speak of him yet coming back to Merseyside. Um, you know, I know you've had your own opinions on Rafa as a Liverpool fan. What do you make to him going to Everton?
1: Yeah, great win. Southampton started well. Armstrong showing he could step up and score. What Benitez has done very simple is he's looked at everything and gone, if I can put in 25 crosses a game into that box with the size of the players they've got, we're going to be a good team. So he's kept it simple, stupid, kiss, which is good from Rafa. It'll take him time. Eventually, he'll want to focus on the clean sheets because that's in Rafa's DNA. He loves a clean sheet. Um, But for now, they're a very, very old-fashioned football side. They're very much, not 4-4-2, but they very much play with wide players. They very much have that target man in Calvin Lewin. They very much have size and physicality in midfield, as DeCorey showed when he was scoring that goal. Um, yeah, I, I think Benitez, and, and to be fair to him, they've spent like three million quid this summer. So they've, they've spent some serious money the last few years and big players. Hasn't got a plan. He's gone in there, and he's the type of manager that will be very methodical in January. He'll probably like, maybe maybe they'll bring one more in before the end of the window, but he'll say to the owner, give me five months to work with what I've got. Come January, we'll add. And he did this at Liverpool, add a couple every window, you know, to make them very competitive. They won't be anyone's mugs ever. Um, you know, not my cup of tea football style-wise or whatever, but he's he's been a world-class manager. I mean, you don't win titles of Valencia in the era of Real Madrid domination and Barcelona domination. You don't win a Champions League with a Liverpool team, you know, who was owned by those Americans at the time who were clowns. Um, and you don't go, you know, pretty much to the last few games versus Alex Ferguson, one of the best man United teams without knowing what you're doing. So, you you, you know, everything, look, they're in good hands. Do you know what I mean? It's like, they probably wanted more, expected more, but they've got some really, really good players. So look, the Premier League is going to be fascinating. For me, it's two leagues. You're going to have four or five teams vying for the top four, and then you're going to have 15 teams vying for knowing where the fuck they're going to finish from sixth way to 20th. So it, it will be interesting. Listening to Patrick Vieira, um, and his post-match interview talking about more players. That's a worry for me always with any new manager. Um, because uh, he said like, we have to bring a few more players in. I mean, they brought a lot of players in this summer. Um, I don't want to hear my new manager, you know, straight away after the feed, talking about players, I want my new manager to be calm and composed and go judge us in time. You know, yes, maybe there's a bit more recruiting to be done. We're very happy with what we've got. It used to irritate the shit out of me. Every time you hear Steve Evans interview, be like, I need one more player. I need one more player. You, do you know what I mean and it's like our fans are a bit like that at the moment with a striker some of them were taking the manager's interview from Saturday about he needs another striker of course if we can strengthen and get the right one we'll get another striker but strikers are like prehistoric dinosaurs it's just impossible to find you know at the moment and, and we're lucky with the ones we've got and the other thing you go is you know if you play with one up front or one, one behind and you've already got four or five you, you bring in another one for the sake of what because what fully fit and you've got Dembele, Clark Harris, you've got Marriott, you've got Sammy Schmodix, you've got Ricky, obviously, who's back in three months. You know, how many strikers do you want in the building? let not let's call them strikers, call them forwards. You know, you've got to be careful. There's got to be a balance to a squad as well, because otherwise it becomes too much. And then you're, yeah, you're just stop piling them. you stop piling them in, and budget-wise, it makes no sense and room in the building. So, you know, we have to be methodical in what we do. So that's always been my point of view. And we have to bring the right ones in for the right reason i can go out and sign any striker we want from lower leagues tomorrow but they've got to be can they step up can they do it is there another dwight gale out there so we're, we're doing our due diligence at the moment there is a striker we've got our eye on i'm not going to say if it's from above or below we want to buy club would only say loan we're not interested in loaning and um, might not happen in this window possibly january do you know what i mean so it the stuff being worked on but again for the right reasons not just because of panic or rush or whatever.
0: Now you're talking about kind of the 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 two leagues within the Premier League and you know Aston Villa are one of those that you don't necessarily know whether they're going to finish 7th or 18th or you know anywhere in between and I want to come to Jack Grealish and you know maybe this is a question that goes beyond Jack Grealish and Aston Villa but you know it's um it's using what's happening happened with Aston Villa and Jack Grealish as kind of the case in point is when you have a a talisman that your entire club is built around and that talisman leaves and i think that you know because of your the way that you've approached things in terms of being a selling club you know i think that that's oftentimes probably happened to you as well where you've got you know the best player who has done really well has become the focal point he leaves like how do you fill that gap do you fill that gap with someone who is always going to be a step down from the player that you lost or at least to start with or do you think differently about, okay, I'm going to spread that money in a few different areas and try and maybe take a different approach? So we always had
1: Madison for four years, five years. That was our main talisman. You know, goals, assists, everything else. But we never got in the playoffs. We never won promotion. So we made the, the decision to move on from him. And we brought in Schmoddocks and we brought in other players and we created more of a team-like environment where it wasn't about the one player. And yes, whilst we had Ivan Tony, we still had a squad of players that were very good. And what we now in a position to do is, is that it's not just about a Dembele. It's not about a Mario. It's not about a Clark Harris. Do you know what I mean? We have a squad of winners, you know, that can win. And it's not down to one good player. There's one good player. If you rely everything on one good player, it's a recipe for disaster. And we learned that we educated ourselves through the whole, you know, uh, Madison fiasco. And in years gone by, yes, we've had that one big player that we've sold, but it, the club can't just be about one player. So. You know, we've brought in some very, very good players that we feel over the next 24 months will will grow. Will be You know, Randall has been brilliant. You know what I mean? He's only 21. He's stepped up. He's been fantastic. Do you know what I mean? We've got Poku in the building. who's going to do the same in time. We've signed some, we feel, good attacking depth. And, you know, if we lost to Dembele, it's not the end of the world. Yes, he can be a game changer. Yes, he can do dazzling things. Yeah, but it's not about Stariki Dembele. It's about the 11 players on the pitch. So... You know, I, I, what Villa did for me was the right thing to do. They're never getting in the Champions League. They never win the league title. They get a 25-year-old. They've had so much time out of, promotions out of, you take your 100 million, you go out and sign three players. Danny Ings' goals will help more than Jack Rui assists. You know, Buendia and Bailey will turn out to be terrific acquisitions for the team. So that business has been very sensible business. Look, they had a disaster against Watford on Saturday. But that's no shame because Watford were next to us the best home team in the country last year. We finished second to them by a couple of points for home form. So there's no shame that a lot of teams are going to lose to Watford. Last time Liverpool went to Vicarage Road two years ago, they got a ton 3-0. So we've been unbeaten for however long. So, um, you know, Villa will be a good team. Will they be in that top six? Not sure. The shit they've gone through in recent years, I think where they are right now, they've got to be very happy.
0: Yeah. So it's like it's they've got to take it as an end of an era, you know, that you know, you're going to move on from that. And then you got to think a little bit differently about how you spend your money. Yeah, and what-
1: absolutely. So, so, you know, eventually Leicester will do the same with Madison, you know, clubs will do that. So, um, Liverpool have done that before Coutinho's era ended, you know, and it paid for Van Dyke and Alisson to come in and it led to league titles. So instead of it being about Coutinho, we suddenly got a defender and a goalkeeper that allowed us to win a league title. So, it, you know, sometimes it's not about the sum of one part, it's the sum of all parts.
0: Now, you had Sir Alex Ferguson in the stand the last couple of weeks. He's banned. Uh, I told the gaffer on Saturday. He's brought bad luck. Yeah,
1: he went back to United and they trashed Leeds or whatever else. But uh, it was great having Sir Alex. He was staying with the gaffer for a couple of weeks. I spent a good bit of time with him after the Plymouth game on Tuesday night when we lost 4 0. I'm in the gaffer's office. Me and him were having a good chuckle, not about the result, but about things in general. I so, said, geez, is going to be a really bad, you know, enjoyable drive home with the gaffer. And then obviously the manager walks in and he's just red. Mm-hmm. And means we have to look at each other in the eyes, kind of go, mm, okay, no comments. And and then obviously it's our job to try and calm the gaffer down, bring him back down to earth, you know, and, and because sometimes as bad as you think it is, it's never as bad as you think it is. So it's my job to remind the gaffer before the baby goes out with the bat water, you know, before we start trying to sign 20 new players and transfer listing list in 10 players and changing formations. It's like, hang on, relax. It's been bad, but it's never as bad as you think. So let's go back to basics. Let's focus on what we've got to do. There's a lot of belief in what we've done the last 20 months. Have that trust. You know. So so there was a lot of that going on. And and I'm sure Sir Alex played the same game as I played with a manager for a few days and just kept them there. Because, you know, I could tell he was hurting after Tuesday. And, you know, in in those situations,
0: it's my job to make sure he he gets smiling again. And you pulled no punches in the after in the interview post game after
1: He's very honest, you know, and he would have been very upset because he gave it, the, I think we had like 17 ages in the squad against Plymouth, and we let ourselves down. Fair play to Plymouth, they were better. Um, But like I said, it was early days. It was a bad night in the office. You know, we haven't been good in the Cups recently. The gaffer would have wanted a response from the younger players. He didn't get it. But that won't happen again with those younger players. They'll know next time. Look, we've got some great people off the pitch. The manager... You know, the number two, Matty Edmonton, you know, our first team coach. Scarfield runs the academy. All the people we've got around the edges there, the analysts, to the fitness coach, to the sports science, to Tyler, the goalie coach. They're good people. We've now got a new set-piece coach come in, Andy Butler, you know, ex-Doncaster uh, caretaker manager. They're a good group of people. And the players are very lucky to have them because they're going to need them. Uh, uh, and, you know, I, I couldn't be happier with that side of how everything's going on at the club.
0: How many... Teams have, just for context for listeners, how many teams have a set piece coach?
1: None really, I think, outside of the champ and the Prem. It was something I, I was very strong on in June. I wanted a few things in June I'd put in my plan for the champ. One was I wanted a set piece coach. So it was winning the manager over on that one. And when we got there. And I wanted us to hire us, uh, a shrink to be available. And um, I felt maybe it was more inches that we could use. So I wanted to basically put a shrink on the, or, you know, let's call them a, a, a therapist, a therapist <laughs> psychologist. Yeah. So instead of a shrink, cause that's rude. Cause I've never had a problem. I've never used one myself. I never would, but I understand the necessity for one. And particularly in sports, you know, all walks of life, people need to talk, they get help, they do it. You know, I've played shrink to loads of people who want to bounce off me and talk to me. So I, I offered that we pay one to come in twice a week, be available, If the players wanted to use them, great. If they didn't, they didn't. So for now, it's a no, something we might do in the future. But it was, again, a suggestion for me, maybe some more inches to steal where we can. Um, So you you draw up a list of all. You're David Goliath in those leagues. And you draw up a list of, okay, what can we do differently than the Goliaths? What can we do to give us those inches? So I drew up that list myself and said, look, these are all the things, you know, sports science, nutrition, uh, sports psychologist. Uh, set-piece coach, uh, our training ground, the little bits and pieces, how we travel away. All those things, if I can give my players a few more inches and it will help them, I'm going to do everything I can. So that was really, really pivotal for me in the summer.
0: Now, when you're recruiting a set-piece coach, what's the CV that you're looking for? You know, Is it just somebody who's renowned for, for being strong in set-pieces? I mean, what are you looking for?
1: No, somebody who's been in the game a long time. So we went and got somebody who's played like 600 games in the feds, somebody who's played lower league football, somebody who's been in the hustle and bustle, somebody who's a caretaker manager of a league one club, somebody who will understand what we're trying to do. Somebody who has a captain and a leader, used to defend set plays and used to attack set plays. Mm -hmm. So we felt, and also he's got a relationship with a gaffer. He was a gaffer's player. We felt he'd be a good addition. He's earning his, his stripes, he's learning. He was only caretaker for a while at Donny. You know he might want to manage in the game in the future we felt there was a good opportunity for him to come in and show us what he's got and vice versa so they're all those things we're trying to do so so he's a really good guy really happy to have him and again like compliments everything we're doing and and time will tell whether or not he's going to be you know a, a brilliant addition
0: now when i saw the game on saturday i saw him um at one point it, it... The camera shot in on him with an iPad in his hand. So, how much data? How much? How how much of the set pieces are data driven in terms of what you're encouraging the team to do?
1: Oh, everything's data driven there for us. That's something I've like fucking ran in. I mean, yeah, you know, we're getting live stuff during the game. We're knowing how, how how many miles people are running during the game. We're we're knowing where the last few set pieces came into our box. We're looking at all the little differences we can make. So everything is live. Uh, and in real time and there's some adjustment to that as well on that. how do you take the info how do you then get the info out how do you change in game it's very nfl like so you know there are all those little things we're trying to change about what we do call it call it modernizing you know some old school uh, characters so that, that that's what i'm trying to do slowly but surely
0: all right well we're going to take a quick break we've got some questions in from listeners that i'm going to uh, pose a couple of those to you when we come back hi everybody welcome back to the podcast we have a few questions that have come in this week you can always submit questions um do it on the website hardtruthfootball.com contact or by email you can email us at contact at hardtruthfootball.com i'm going to start with a question from zach who is a posh fan and zach said earlier this year young peterborough defender bobby copping sadly had to retire due to a bad head injury and i think we talked a little bit about that at the time he said um Peter Bridge did something really nice in offering him work in the academy, and Zach just wondered what was the thinking there in actually, um, you know, providing that opportunity to Bobby. He's
1: a great kid. Should have had a great career in football. Um, sometimes not just players. You get great characters. You know, personality, characters, potential, and Bobby's got potential. And we just saw someone that shouldn't be lost to football just because an injury stopped him playing. And Eddie Howe similar years ago when he was uh, was a Bournemouth or Portsmouth. Had to stop at 24, 25, went into the game of coaching, became manager of Bournemouth. You don't lose a good person. You know, football needs good people. And it was really, really important that we got behind Bobby. So we, as the owners, thought, what can we do? Kieran Scarf also came up with the idea. Let's use him in in the academy. Let's use him in the fans initiative thing. Obviously, he started his foundation. I donated a few grand to that. Um, And, you know, with his experience in football, everything that's gone on, um, so yeah, so we're really happy. He's a he's a great member of staff, good member of the club, a good reminder to everyone in football that you know don't take your chances for granted. Um, anything can happen in this game; it could be gone before you know it. And uh, really happy for him. He's, he's going to be he's a terrific young guy. He's going to have a great career outside of football.
0: Now we have a question from Dave from Down Under, who's a Preston fan. Uh, what do you make of Peter uh, Ridsdale's time at Preston and him being appointed on the EFL board? as the championship representative
1: he's good we've we were all the people who voted for him i like peter i know he's got a history at leeds i know it wasn't great history um he's very good at what he does he brings experience good and bad he's seen clubs that have overspent and um, so i actually think you instead of criticizing that experience instead of always going down on somebody for mistakes that have been made this is not just his fault what happened at leeds you can look at that and go he's rebuilt his career He's done a great job of Preston. He's he's ran that club really, really efficiently. He's ran that club that it's, um you know, a club that was in League One, it's come out of League One, has got back up to the championship. has got a good transfer policy. Spend within their means. Don't overdo it. Um, yeah, I, I like Peter a lot. I think he's good for the game of football.
0: Now, uh, Cowley's Cows on Twitter um, <laughs> asks, how often do deals not happen after the player actually has agreed the move and he passes the medical? Um, so do you do they still fall down at that kind of twelfth hour?
1: Yes, I, I mean, of course. Well, it's not usually after the medical. They usually first they'll you speak to the agent, the player before they come in. Then they'll come in, and the, the idea of coming in is is to meet the manager. All goes to plan. They have a the medical. They do the media, the press. It can fall down when they meet the manager. And obviously, I discussed that in the last podcast. We've had that happen. It's happened a couple of times over over the years I've been in charge. It's very rare. I think it's happened three times in the fifteen years I've been there, and. Usually, it's been the right decision in the end, and it'll be driven by the manager. If he doesn't get the feel, if he suddenly meets a player where he's like, oh, That player doesn't really want to be here, I'm not getting a great vibe from that player, we won't sign the player. So, I have to back my manager in that case. Of course, I'll be gutted sometimes if the player that it's been highly coveted by us and we've chased. Um, but that's football, and then obviously, there's circumstances where a player will go for a medical, and the medical will come back, and you know, it'll, it'll, it'll be a bad medical. Uh, and we've had that too. So that's that's just the life of football. That's the industry.
0: So I have a question from Tom Ford that came through Twitter. Uh, the question is: Would you ever take a punt on someone like Jack Wilshire? And I, I, I'm wondering if Tom means you know somebody who is injury prone, but he certainly has talent.
1: Yeah, I, I discussed earlier the only way you get a player is if they had serious injury issues the last few years. Funny enough, my my one of my partners was like him um, saying about Jack Wilshire the other day, and. I'm just at the point where we've had issues with fitness and injuries and everything else. We've got to be careful, um, and yeah. we've we've got to we've got to look at it and go. We're signing players for the right reasons. Of course, Wilshire is a, was a top world class player. He's had his problems. Why well, haven't Bournemouth signed him? You know that surprised me. he been there a long time. You know that's a club who could do a Jack Wilshire type signing. They're selling players, but you know he's not costing anything. Um, so it's never come up for me in the recruitment, nor has the manager brought it up. So it's not something we'd visit at the moment, but I hope he goes on and he, he proves to everyone that he's a fit player and he, he signs with someone and plays 40, 50 games. There's a talent in there and it's what's happened to him with his ankles and, you know, he, he, he could have been one of England's best players. I mean, with his eyes shut. So it's, it's one of them where you're like gutted. That's, that's the dark side of football where a player just, they can't shake off those issues. You know, their bodies are built differently. You know what I mean? You could suppose someone said they're made of glass. Which would be harsh, but it's the truth. And then you get other players like I've said to you; they play six, seven hundred games, they never have a knock.
0: Built differently, like some, some you know, biometric kind of look or otherwise. It's bizarre. I, I, I don't know.
1: So, so that, that's that, in my opinion. But look, he'll, he'll get a move. I'm sure he'll sign. But he's got plenty of money. I don't think money's the driver. I think he's earned enough in his career so far. So, be interesting to see where he goes next.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, a question from Dan, a Crystal Palace fan. And it's one I could have asked, actually, when we were talking about Palace earlier, uh, because it's a little bit about Palace's summer recruitment. And and Dan is asking, what do you think of Palace's summer recruitment and the appointment of Vieira? And actually, I want to add to this. I saw something over the week that had, there was a chart in The Athletic where it had, how are Premier League fans feeling, like happy Nervous, you know, on the fence about their team's prospects this year. And I think it had Palace as like the second most optimistic fan base in the Premier League, which kind of surprised me.
1: No, no they had gone stale under Hodgson. You can imagine, it, you know, you moan about the football you're watching. You know, he had very experienced players. It was the same players every year. They'd sign new contracts, and um, it was time for a reset there. So they've gone out and they've recruited some good young talents. Easy last year, you know what I mean? You see some of the players they signed this year. Um, they are good players and they're gonna be exciting. They've got a new manager, Premier League legend. Is he gonna be a good manager in the Premier League? I don't know. Hasn't been brilliant that's, you know, in his first two jobs. It'll be fascinating to see what happens. They've got new investment in there recently I saw so as well. So I guess for Palace fans, it's it's gone from stale to fresh and new. So that's why we're optimistic because the, the bar wasn't very high to begin with. So they're a good club, they run pretty well. Um, you know, I get on pretty well with Steve Parrish, who's one of the owners. Um, I think they'll they'll do okay. I think it will take time. It'll depend on how itchy they get trigger wise and itchy feet wise. If he loses three, four out of the first five games, what happens then? Um, you know, but they're going to have to stay the course because it was definitely time for the reset. What they have got is W. Friedman's really good at what he does. Um, Sir Alex was actually singing his praises the other day because I think they live across the road from each other. So um, yeah, good luck to Palace and Palace fans this season.
0: What's uh, success look like for Palace this season? Oh, staying up with all the
1: changes, in my opinion, staying up. I think the Premier League, you know, teams that have come up will be stronger. Teams that, you know, struggled last year will be stronger. Um, Palace are going through that change. They've lost 12, 14 contracted players. They've lost a lot of experience, Scott Dan, Gary Cahill. You know, they've got a new manager, a new focus, a new style, young players, a philosophy. I think it's growth staying up. So, you know, they do that, and then it's a nice building block.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Um now there's a a question that came in this is the last question from uh listeners and actually came in from producer Henry. Okay. And he he's uh, chancing his arm with a non-football question. Um well I guess there's some context with football. So Henry's actually talking about the Hundred okay. in cricket, so the new format um that's been going on this summer in cricket and you know the idea of bringing in um the Hundred is to bring in a new audience to the sport. And Henry just wonders, like, could football ever get to the same point where we're looking at different formats for football to bring in new audiences?
1: I don't, I don't think so. Um, you've already got your five sides, you've got your, your your masters events, you've got those kind of things going on. I'm not sure football would follow rugby with like the sevens. You know, it, the fives would be a version of that. The hundred, you know, no. I mean, I've read some of the ideas from some people where they talk about having, um, you know, four quarters like the NFL. They talk about making the goals bigger. You know, they talk about no offside rule, all these things. No, I'm I'm a romantic. I like VR V A R. Um, I like where we are at the game. I don't think we need to change it that much. I think we can bring younger audiences in there. Maybe the fan experience could be better. Um, maybe we could hear refs on the screen when we're watching football, maybe put them in the stadium, you know, get them more engaged that way. Um so no, I I, I am a bit of a an old fashioned person in that way, though. I wouldn't want to see football being stripped down to sixty minute game. No draws, you go straight to penalty shootouts, you know, all that kind of thing, and, and throw-ins become kick-ins and you know, all the other little changes they want to make. Not for me. Sorry, Henry, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note just one, one thing, obviously, I wanted to mention before we go. It's come out today, obviously, Clark Harris has been charged by the FA um for tweets he made when he was 18, which funny enough was when he was at the club. I only found out about it recently. I don't know the context of the tweets. I do know that somebody after we won promotion against Lincoln dug into his tweets and probably spent twelve hours going through ten years of tweets,
0: mm-hmm. found
1: some tweets where he'd made some inappropriate uh, comments, uh, which obviously I don't, you know, uh, endorse. Uh, and once we've investigated and we go through it, I'll obviously learn more about that. Um, at the moment, I don't know enough about it, but we're judging people on comments they made at eighteen. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I'm not sure how I feel about people who troll through people's social media. I hate this is the world my kids grow up in. I hate the fact that my kids could say something now and then lose a job or a career later in life. Um, there is a statute of limitations on crimes in America in certain states where you could rob somebody and after 10 years, you're not allowed to be prosecuted. But in sports, someone puts out a mean tweet or says something fucking stupid. They're suddenly banned and fined and vilified. So uh, it's, it's how far it goes, I'm not sure. So I don't want to comment too much until you know, we answer the charges, the player answers the charges, but needless to say, if it doesn't go to the plan, he will be banned. And um, I'm hoping it'll be a slap on the wrist. And I'm sure for whatever stupidity he, he said back then as a teenager, he'd apologize for in good time, but I can't speak for him.
0: And I guess a reminder for everybody about what you put on social now will remain with you for, uh, potentially for the rest of your life. So, um, you know, always be careful what you put out there.
1: And I warned you about the cricket. England are absolutely choking all over the fucking place. They now they've lost two, both openers in one ball, uh, or in a couple of balls, and they're about to shit themselves and lose this test. Worst test captain in the history of England.
0: World class battle, awful captain. It's funny we were talking about this just before we went on uh, to hit the record button, so you'll everyone listening will know what happened by the time uh, yeah, this was out. Almost, but it wasn't looking. We've turned
1: bowling. You know, a couple of rabbits with averages of four and they've got no slips. That just tells you everything about England's captain. You all know, you need to know, worst English testing I've seen in years. So
0: right now they're one for two. We've grasped um, defeat from the jars of victory. Yeah, absolutely. I
1: mean, this morning after the first hour, they should have won this game. And yeah. this is what happens. When you have a positive, aggressive mindset, you can win. When you have a negative, conservative mindset, things can get yourself in trouble. On that note, I shall tune out. Thank you everyone for listening. We're breaking records with a podcast listening. Keep it up. Say it to your friends put comments on all the Apple podcast area, Spotify, those things help us grow.
0: Thank you. We'll be back next week. Cheers, guys. Cheers.